following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Try it now. Oh. <laughs> um, in March of 2018, Cindy and I moved into the parsonage at Family Bible Church in Loudoun for the purpose of turning the parsonage into a transitional home for people coming out of long-term rehab. Um, that has been a dream of ours. We felt that on a smaller level of one or two people being in the home, um, that that might be helpful for people to make that transition from the structure of long-term rehab into starting to make decisions on their own, but having somebody there to be a part of an evaluation process for them and help them make that transition. Um, it has been a roller coaster ride in almost everywhere I can describe it since then, both personally, emotionally, physically, um, it, it, all of it. But we started working with His Mansion Ministries in Deering, uh, New Hampshire, and um, as of December of 2018, we became the first um, non, non-His Mansion ministry to be approved by His Mansion for the purpose of aftercare uh, to their graduates, um, and to this point, the only. Uh, our prayer is the program that we've developed can be adapted so that people who have a spare room and want to help somebody make that transition would be able to take that and recognizing that each person is different, be able to help them with that transition. Uh, in May, um, Matthew, who is with us, uh, moved into our home. Yesterday, Justin uh, Pastrana, who we call Pastrami, moved into our home. Um, so we are full because we only have room for two men. And we've taken in two men and we're full for a number of other reasons as well with an additional daughter and two cats that have... Uh, come to be a part of it. So we have a nice full home uh, there now. We're in the process of working. Uh, Matthew has already uh, gotten a job, and we're working with some other areas with him. And Justin has been very specific of areas that he would like us to help him with uh, in his transition. So we're excited about what God is doing there. We're excited to have information that we can share with you as you look forward to welcoming Mason back. Um, and uh, and I believe a lot of the things that we have involved in our program are totally transferable uh, to that circumstance. So that's uh, what we're involved in and what we're uh, really, really excited about, and, um, and we're loving what God is doing there. Um, so I have a question for the men. Ladies, you can sit this one out. Um, how many of you men, as you were growing up, feel that when you reached adulthood and uh, it's for married men, so, okay. So that when you were ready to get married, you knew everything that you needed to do and were fully prepared to lead your household as a husband. How many of you men, when your first child was born and you held that beautiful gift in your hands, we're like, I got this. I, I am totally prepared to be a dad. Because if I saw any hands, I'll say you're lying. So anyway, 
Um, but I asked that question once before uh, a group of about 50 Christian men um, at a, men's, a regional men's breakfast we were having. And in that group, the vast majority had been involved in church their entire lives. And there were, there were pastors who were fathers and their sons were there. And there were some, in some cases, their sons were pastors. And they were in that, in that group, I asked that question and one person raised his hand. And I started to ask myself, what are we doing as churches? And what are we doing as Christian men? if Christian men are reaching maturity and don't know how to be godly husbands and don't know how to be godly fathers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift you up. And Lord, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us today where we are. And Lord, I don't want anybody to hear my voice. I want everybody to hear your voice. I want you to speak into each one of our hearts that what we need to hear and what we need to grasp and use to grow in our love for you and to be drawn to be more like Jesus, that we would learn that today, that we would leave here with that today and that it would be a part of our lives from this day forward as we seek to serve you and as we grow in our love and knowledge of you. Be with every part of the remainder of this service and guide us and bless us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the mission of the church? The mission of the church to me is the Great Commission, as found in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and that says, And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We refer to this as the Great Commission. It is Jesus telling his disciples what he wants them to do, what they are to do with the word that he has implanted in them. The closest people that he had to him in his life are the ones that are with him. And this is his charge to them, and ultimately it's his charge to us. And for most of us, our homes are a part of this world. But it is not to get commitment cards. It is not to see people raise their hand. It is not to count um, commitments at a rally. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The Crossroad Church's mission statement is the mission of Crossroads Church is to make and mature disciples together, fully in line with the Great Commission. Lines right up. That is who we are supposed to be. And Joel, you don't have this one because I added it late. John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him, meaning Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Believers ought to walk as Jesus walked. 
And so many times I'll hear people say, well, I'm saved, but you don't want to follow my example. Then there's something wrong with our example. Because if we're saved, we should be seeking to look and walk more like Jesus every single day. So what did that look like in the early New Testament? Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't have the Bible. The early church had the disciples. They had the people who had walked with Jesus. So for them to understand what it was like to walk with Jesus and how to do it, they had to get that information from those 12, now called apostles. And they were devoted. They were devoted to their teaching. They weren't curious. They weren't interested. They weren't seekers. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were hanging on every word. They wanted to know everything that the apostles could teach them about following Jesus Christ. They were getting together daily, not once a week. Are we devoted to the teachings of Scripture? Are we devoted to it? Are we in the Word every single day? Are we trying to grow and learn more about Jesus? Are we meeting together as believers? Are we devoted to the fellowship of believers? Are we devoted to each other? Do we look around this room and say, well, that one, okay, but that one, not so much. Are we devoted to the fellowship, to the church, to the body of Christ, to increasing our love to each other, so that we look more and more like Jesus every day. And we love more and more like Jesus in the, every day. It wasn't a casual thing with spiritual disciplines. They were devoted to the spiritual disciplines. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to hearing more about Jesus. It was important to them. It was not the first thing that left their schedule when things got busy. It was the last thing that left their schedule. The most important thing that they included in their day. They came alongside each other in wonderful, growing relationships. And when it says they had everything in common, I wish it would leave the part out about selling possessions. Because they didn't just have possessions in common. They shared life together. They knew who was hurting and why they were hurting when something happened in someone's family. They grieved together. They rejoiced together. As a fellowship of believers, they knew what was going on. 
They didn't live in a society where you could travel 40 miles and go to church and go home and never see anybody in that fellowship again until next Sunday. You walked to where you were gathering together. They gathered in the temple and received teaching. They met it together daily, sharing communion and sharing meals. It is amazing to me how far we have come, and sometimes I struggle when I'm leading communion. Because to me, when they met in somebody's house, the spiritual head of that house, when they broke bread, they shared the body of Christ. When they took the cup, they shared the blood of Christ. Not once a month, but daily, when they were gathering together. Because they wanted to be reminded every day of what Jesus had done on the cross for them. They wanted that to be known. And, and they wanted to celebrate his body and blood together. Those were mentoring, growing relationships as they interacted with each other. And that is discipleship. If we look at Acts chapter 9, nobody wanted to do anything to do with Paul, who was then called Saul. They wanted nothing to do with him. He had been trying to murder Christians. That was probably a good reason to want nothing to do with him. But Barnabas came alongside and said, Hey, look, this is what happened to him on the road to Damascus. This is what Jesus did in his life. He was trying to preach Christ in Damascus after he was saved. His relationship with Jesus Christ is sincere. And because of Barnabas' encouragement, the church accepted Paul. And then when things got really tough, he went home to Tarsus. So then in Acts chapter 11, the word of God is spreading because of the persecution of the church. It's actually starting to go into the world, as Jesus had commanded. And it's spreading, and this mostly Gentile church starts in Antioch. And Barnabas is sent there to see what they need. And the work is so overwhelming that he sends for Paul, so Paul can help him. And Paul comes alongside him and they work with this church and this church grows and thrives and people are learning more and more about Jesus and growing all the time to the point where that by Acts chapter 13, they're looking to send people out. And as they're praying together, the Holy Spirit comes and who does he take? He doesn't take the two newest believers that just graduated from Bible school and send them into the mission field. He takes the two most experienced men in their midst. It would be like him taking John and Heath and saying, I'm sending them out to do work and here are the people that I'm calling up to take their place. I mean, we, you, we sit there and we look and we say, well, you know, if they take our pastor and one of our key elders, what are we going to do in, in our churches? But that's what they did. That's what the Holy Spirit did in Antioch. And they went out and they went on this mission journey and they won people to the Lord and God was working powerfully to them, through them. And they came back and they went to the Jerusalem council and they wanted to go back out again in Acts chapter 15. And Barnabas and Paul came at odds because of John Mark. John Mark had abandoned them, but Barnabas is an encourager. John Mark was his nephew. He took John Mark and went one way And Paul went the other, and it doubled the ministry. Just like that. And Paul goes, and he he calls alongside him, Timothy. 
and he and Timothy uh, worked together for years, and, and he talks so many times about the ministry, and apparently he reconciles with Barnabas and John Mark because also in his letters he talks about how valuable John Mark is to him. But he brings another man in that he can train, that he can teach, that he can disciple. A mentor. I have had numerous Barnabases and Pauls in my life. And I have been working to have more Timothys in my life. As we grow in Christ, we still need people to sharpen us. We need those mentoring relationships. If you can't name someone who's speaking into your life right now, who's mentoring you and helping you to grow, then you need to find someone. You need to be seeking those relationships. We need those kind of personal relationships in the body of Christ that we're helping newer believers to grow and more mature believers are helping us to continue to grow. Those are necessary relationships in our life. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul writes, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. What I've taught you, teach other men so they can teach others. It's a growing thing. It's disciples discipling new disciples. Titus 2, 1 through 7. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in regards to the model of good works. When I had decided that I would come and preach today, Heather called me and she wanted to know the general direction that I was headed. And when I started working on a theme and what I wanted to do to preach today, um, the last time I had been here was Peg's service. And John and Peg Aaron have been huge mentors to Cindy and I. And to stand here that day and, and realize the number of people that Peg had mentored, um, that was absolutely the inspiration for this message. Because if there have ever been two people that gave of themselves in time and energy and resources to help mentor others, John has been such a valuable mentor in my life, as has Heath. Um, you know, just to, to think about that and to think about if we're mentoring as believers then we should have young men that when they reach that point where they're ready to get married, they're terrified. I'm, no, I mean, when they reach that point 
they're, they understand, one, they have a pretty good idea of what it means to be a godly husband. Two, they have an absolute certainty that there are men in their life that will help them make that process work. And when they hold that precious, then they're really terrified when they hold that precious gift in their hand. But when they have that child, that they're prepared to be a godly father. And they know they have people to come alongside and help them do that. That's what happens when we are mentoring across generations. Cindy and I have done marriage mentoring on occasion. And we have done pre-marriage. And we have a blended family. And blending families has its own challenges. So we had a couple that we were working with and they were blending families. And in our sessions together, we were talking, I don't even remember what the area was, but we were talking about one area and we said, this is going to happen. It will happen after you get married. And we started to explain ways that they could deal with it. No, no, no. Nope. It's not going to happen to us. We love each other. Our kids love each other. I mean, this is, this is perfect. It's not going to happen to us. We don't have to talk about that. So we said, when it happens, call us. So they knew we were still available. And I think it was about six months in when we got that phone call. And we went and we met with them and we mentored them through uh, that situation. What a blessing. And, and you want to know the best part about mentoring? There's a boomerang effect. As you're working to teach somebody else, it comes back on you and God just fills you and teaches you all the more. That's the best thing about mentoring or one of the best things about mentoring. It's absolutely wonderful. But those are the kind of relationships that have to be commonplace in our churches. And and I don't care if they fellowship here in the body of Christ. You can have those mentoring relations with other believers that don't fellowship here on a Sunday morning. That's fine. But we all need those people uh, in our lives. And I have been blessed to have many men who have spoken into my life. I did not have a Christian dad. When I came to Christ when I was 17 years old, I had no leadership from the home to tell me how to be a godly person or a godly man. But there were men in, in Epsom, ba- Epsom, yeah, it was Epsom Baptist Church at the time. It's now Epsom Bible Church. But there were men in that church that came along beside me. The first one was a man by the name of Wendell Bassett. And Wendell Bassett is probably the primary reason that I was in a position in my life to come to the Lord. And he was the first man to come alongside me and help to guide me. And I didn't have that. He's my spiritual dad. He's the the one who first uh, gave me that that opportunity to grow with a godly man who I respected, uh, loved, and trusted. So... That was an important relationship for me, and we need those. And there are people in our churches that need them as well. But for me, as a Christian father, for me as a Christian husband and as a Christian grandfather and great-grandfather, but for me, in those relationships, there is no greater place for Christian families for discipleship than in the home. In Second uh, Timothy one five, we read, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, 
that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's father was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. Timothy was not circumcised for that very reason until he went and worked with Paul. However, when that first mission trip went through Lystra, Timothy's grandmother developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And his mother developed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those two women in that home mentored and taught Timothy to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ to the point where he was highly trusted and respected by the church in Lystra. They recommended him highly when Paul went through. What are we doing in our homes to disciple our kids? Are we inviting other Christian friends in? so that they can see other believers and see an interaction between believers that is healthy and hear a conversation around the table by adults about what Christ is doing. Last night around our table, we had Cindy and I and Matthew and two of our daughters and three grandchildren and a great conversation. And I want that to be what what my grandchildren's life is about. I want them to grow hearing conversations about the Lord from people who love the Lord and are positive about him. It's our greatest opportunity. Are we modeling Christ? Are we modeling Christ to our spouses and to our kids? and to our grandkids. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3.17 Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. And almost every letter that Paul writes. Here's a man who had the courage to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because he was confident in his life and that he was imitating Christ. And there's no reason through the power of the Holy Spirit that we shouldn't have that same confidence. That when we're in the workplace, our fellow co-workers know we're believers and we set an example for them to follow. That we show them who Christ is because we're like him in the way we love, in the way we pray, in the way that we reach out to people. The greatest way to disciple anybody is to be an example. I mean, I love the first principle series. I'm glad you're studying them. There's a lot of great information. But if that great information doesn't lead to transformation and doesn't make us look more like Jesus, it's another study. You might as well go back to studying a book in English class in high school. 
if that information through the power of the Holy Spirit leads to transformation and we absorb that and we become more like Jesus and we become a greater example, then hallelujah. That's the reason that you're gathering for those first principles classes. That's the reason that you're taking those studies so that your life can be transformed. Parents, and it's Father's Day, so I'm going to pick on fathers. Fathers, do your children know that you are daily in the Word of God? Reading and studying and learning and growing? And obviously, if you're not, they can't. Do they see it? Have you encouraged them to do it? Do they know that you pray regularly, especially for them, especially for them, that you love them enough to lift them up before the Lord on a daily basis. Do you love and respect each other in your home as the Bible teaches? It is not solely a parent's responsibility to do that. But it is the greatest opportunity because you have the most contact with your children. I'm in a situation right now where my daughter is a single mom. And in a lot of ways, I'm a surrogate dad to her kids. And I take that responsibility very, very seriously. And we all need to be reaching out to where those gaps are. There are homes that don't have a Christian father or don't have a Christian mother. There are people that are going to come here at a relatively young age that come from a household that is unsaved. And it's our job as the body of Christ to show them and to demonstrate to them what it means to be part of the body of Christ, what it means to be part of the fellowship of believers, how to become more like Jesus, to spend time with them and to invest in their lives. I would love to be at a point, and it probably won't be August 18th, but a point where I come back here to speak and I ask that same question and see people raise their hands because they know because they have been mentored and they are confident that the body of Christ is with them when they enter into those relationships and when they move forward with their lives. Because we should be doing that. The early church did. And what we read in Acts is that the world, they were highly regarded by others around them. They were following Jesus. They were becoming like Jesus and they were highly regarded and the church was being added to daily those who were being saved because of the example that they gave and how they lived their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, personally, I need to be more like you. I have times when I really struggle and I know for me and for many others, one of the hardest things for me to do in the busy world that we live in is to be constantly and daily in your word and daily in prayer and daily seeking you. And I pray for your help with that. 
And for this body, Lord, I pray that Crossroad Church would be known at a place where mentoring and discipleship takes place daily, where fellowship is sweet because you're the center of it, where people love each other as you love, forgive each other as you forgive, and grow together, each one, each day, looking more like you, and that the lives of people in this town and the surrounding towns that don't know you would look at this place and say, we need what they have and would have a desire to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the testimony of the believers that fellowship here. Lord, go with us. Give us the strength to seek every day to look more like Jesus and through your spirit show us how. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.